0: Jesus we do love you. Jesus we love you because you loved us first. And God we we want to know you personally and intimately and you've given us the the avenue of prayer, God, by which we're we're to relate to you and get to know you and Jesus we're moved because um in your humanity and, and, and in your kenosis and and the emptying of yourself, you, you found it very necessary while, while incarnated, while in the flesh to spend much of your life in prayer and much of your life, um, separated from, from people and, and spending intimacy with the father and hearing his voice and knowing his will. And so father, I, I just pray Jesus that you would allow us as a church to do that now that. Um, even though we are corporate, Lord, that individually, Jesus, we could just seek Your face, God. Individually, we could hear the will of the Father for our lives and for our church, for our Bible study, God. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would um, direct our prayers and even mine, Lord, as I lead us in in a corporate prayer. And Lord, for each person in here who may be just have already tuned me out and is just praying and seeking You about something going on in their life, Jesus, that You would speak to us. And Jesus, we want to we want to just again continue to worship You and. Lord, we pray for our country and Jesus, we pray for just the the, the political and the um, social unrest and the racial divide that has um, just gripped our country and it 's kind of settled down a little bit now, but it's it 's still going on in the hearts of of men and women in this nation god and it 's an attack of the enemy to divide us and so Lord, we pray for that, Lord, we pray for this nation that you would bring unity, and Lord, I know that unity begins in the house of God, and that begins with your people, Lord, and so help us, God is the church. To, to love people, regardless of their political views, regardless of their ethnic views, regardless of which lives matter, God that we would love all people lord and God that that you would just give us a real connection and a compassion for people and God that you would give us a joy that surpasses understanding and a and a peace and a, and a light lord that 's contagious to to folks around us Lord, and that that father before we we care about somebody 's opinion on a matter, whether it agrees with ours or not, that we would see their heart and we would see their salvation, and we would see, God, um, uh, the opportunity just to love love people to the kingdom, God, and, and, and never lose our witness because of a political view or because of a racial view, and God, we, we pray for us as a church that, that we would have a heart to love people, and Lord, I pray that those people that we would love would start right here in Twilla County, and Lord, the area that you've you've planted us in and you've called us to, God, and Lord, I pray for the many lost people here in Twilla County, and uh, Lord, I pray, Father, for um, us to have an opportunity for them, Lord. And Jesus, I pray for the uh, LDS community today as, as they're um, grieving the loss of uh, Munson. And uh, just pray your your encouragement upon them, Lord Jesus. And I pray, Father, that, um, Lord, again, that, that the Christian church would love them and that the Christian church would show love and that, God, you would help us to be a light and a beacon of light, Lord, to them and in their lives and, and just encourage them during this time and, and stand with them and hug them and whatever it is, Lord, however they grieve, that, God, that, that the love of Christ would be preeminent and would be first in, in our decisions and, Lord, in our response. And so, God, um, help us to love people the way you love us. And, uh, Lord, we, we again, we, we thank you. Lord, I pray for all the dads in this room and I pray for us as fathers God that you'd help us Lord to in 2018 to be intentional about how we're going to um, reach reach our kids with Jesus and how we're going to share Jesus with our kids this year and what are the things that we're going to do to to be fathers and to be fathers who are disciples Lord who who realize that our job as fathers is to make disciples of Christ and our children and Lord, help us to do that, God. Give us vision and give us wisdom, Lord. And, and Father, forgive us of sin and of selfishness and uh, of things, Lord, that, that we don't do because we're only thinking about ourselves, God. And, Father, um, we pray that our kids would respond, Lord. And whatever the plan is that we have to um, be intentional in 2018 about reaching our kids, that, that God, that the kids would respond and that, that your spirit would be poured out upon them. And, uh, Lord, we just thank you for them, Father. I pray for the moms in here, Lord, in the same way. And, I pray for the husbands in here to to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her and God that you'd help us in that impossible task Lord Jesus and um, Lord, it's only impossible if we try to do it in the flesh, but knowing that it's impossible because it, it requires the Holy Spirit, God. And as you fill us with your spirit, that that we would we would do well in this area, Lord, and we would at least be intentional in this area. And God, I pray again for the wives that um, you would empower them and, and give them a heart to respect their husbands as they've been called to do. And um, Lord, again, I pray for our marriages that are in our church, Lord, and I pray, God, for any broken marriages that you would heal them, Father, and that, that each individual in that broken marriage, God, would, um, Lord, look in, their, look in their own lives and, and, and seek you, and that as you heal their heart, forgive their sins, and, and they learn, Lord, to to love first and put the other person first, that you begin to and continue to heal those marriages, Lord God. And, Father, we, we pray for single people in our church that um, desire companion, Lord, that you would raise up Christian men and women, Lord, that love you and 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 folks that can be equally yoked together. And Lord, we know it's hard in, in where we live to, to find a Christian spouse. And, Lord, I pray for um, the young people in our church that are single, that God, that they would trust you in this area and wait for your best and never settle for. Um, um, Lord, second best and and just knowing, God, that you'll you'll provide this need for us, Lord. And again, we pray for our sons and daughters and their purity, Lord God, that um, there again would just be an intentional um, um, encouragement and, and Lord from the spirit for them to remain pure until marriage and God, that you guard that part of their lives and help them to see what a blessing. It's going to be for the rest of their lives, Lord, for that small time of sacrifice that they made and, Lord, how important that is. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. We pray for um, the temptation that our, that our kids face in, in, in every area, God. Lord, we we pray for um, um, our church services, for the new times that, that we're we're going to, and Lord, just that you'd help us as a church to stay molded and stay flexible, and God, that you guide and lead the board of this church to make decisions concerning the little details and the big details, and our finances, and whether we should keep a coffee machine that's costing two hundred bucks a month, and Lord, just in every detail of 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 what we should do, we want to we want to follow you, Lord. We want to know your will and. Uh, we want to bless our people, too, Lord. And so, God, we pray for this new property that um, that you've purchased. And, Lord, we ask, God, that in your time and uh, according to your will, God, that, that, that we would build. And in the meantime, God, we would occupy where we are and continue to improve this building and continue to love the people that come through these doors, God. And, um, Father, we, we pray for, um, Lord, just a, a desire among our people, Jesus, to, to love your word and, and, and in daily devotions and in hearing your voice, God and father we uh, we thank you lord and we we give you praise, I thank you for our worship team and um, Lord, just the gifts and the talents that you 've given them and I pray Lord for um, um brian as as the leader, Lord, in the dynamic that uh, of bringing people together and dealing with schedules and time and, and 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 loving and ministering to them and 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 helping them to love and minister to the body and Lord for problems they have and for strengths that they have and uh, Lord, we pray over them, Lord, we pray over all these areas, God, and that you continue to cause them to grow and Lord, we ask that you continue to raise up new musicians and um, Lord continue to to help our worship teams to grow and, and to serve you, Father and Lord, we pray for a heart um, among our worship team and among um, our children 's staff and among our pastoral staff and Lord, all of our staff Lord, that that we would we would desire to serve you first, God, and that, that the things that we do we would do unto you, Father. Lord, I pray for the um, spiritual battles that we face as a church lord, and we're we're not afraid of them Lord, and nor, nor do we get under them god they're they're a reality of life, they're a reality of walking with god and and Lord, I pray that as we go through them, that you would sustain us, God, that you'd give us um, courage, and Lord, that uh, we would never feel overwhelmed and Lord, when we, we, we when we have those feelings, God, that we would just be reminded of the amazing promises in your word that he that is in us is greater than he that's in the world. And so, Father, we we give you thanks and praise. And Lord, I pray for 2018 that it would just be a good year for our church, for the people in our church, for our families, and God, that, that we could reach the lost. And Jesus, we just ask for thousands of souls to get saved in 2018 through our ministry. And Lord, we pray for um, financial um, outreaches that we want to do and areas that we're, we're called to give and support as a church that, um, Lord, you'd, you'd give us direction to our leaders and to our board and to our church members that... Um, Lord, we just know and have a peace and 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 have a, a spirit of generosity. And, Lord, again, that as we give, we, we've always tried to give um, what costs us and what, what, Lord, is not just in our abundance but is um, that we know it's gone and it hurts because it, it costs us. We have to have faith when we give it, Lord. We're knowing and hoping that you give it back. And so, Lord, we, we pray for that, again, that type of giving. And, uh, Lord, that you bless that and that you guide and lead that. And uh, Lord, again, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for Joshua and the study in the book of Joshua. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, guys. All right. If you have your Bibles, open them up. We're ready for Joshua chapter 9 tonight. Um, you guys remember last week, we spent actually a couple weeks in 7 and 8. We really camped out in 7 and 8 with Achan and um, his story. And um, the children of Israel have have defeated now um Jericho, they've they've defeated Ai, and and that brings us to chapter 9. They dealt with the sin, and then they went on after the sin, in the rest of chapter 8, and defeated, or in the fall of Ai. And then in chapter 9, it says, And it came to pass, when all the kings who were on this side of the Jordan, in the hills, and in the lowlands, and in the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite heard about it, that they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors. And they took old sacks on their donkeys, and old wineskins, and torn and mended, and old patches, sandals on their feet, and old garments on themselves. And all the breed of their provisions was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal and said to him, The men of Israel, we have come from a far country, and now therefore make a covenant with us. So in chapter 9, we see um, this group of kings that are nearby, and, and they're going to try to deceive Joshua and um, the children of Israel into a peace treaty, and so there's a coalition of kings that we're going to catch in chapter ten. Five kings who are, who are getting together, and they're going to say they, you know, they're realizing what God is doing in the conquest and how they 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 mowed through Jericho and and Ai, and and so they're they're trying to get together to attack Joshua. Well, a couple of the kings decide they don't want nothing to do with it, and so they're going to try a different plan. So they pull out; they don't want to join the coalition. Instead what they do is they, they get old um, sackcloth and wineskins and moldy bread and they, and, and they worn out sandals and they, they come to Joshua and they, they, they try to talk him into a peace treaty um, so that he won't attack them. They tell him they're from a far country and when in reality they're about six miles away and um, try to trick and deceive Joshua. Now, I've heard that, um, which, you know, I won't try to read into it too much, but it does make sense that Jericho is 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 the battle of, of the flesh and Ai, a battle of the spirit. And um, chapter 9, it's a different type of attack of Satan, which is the attack of um, deception or represents Satan in his deceiving way. Because, you know, the Bible says, or Peter tells us, right, that Satan roars, goes around like a roaring lion seeking what? Whom he may devour But the Bible also tells us about Satan, that he can masquerade as an angel of light. And so we we see that that Satan has a couple different facets and a couple different um, tactics when he he comes at you. You know, the Bible says that Satan was tempting them, and then it says he left. You know how the rest of that goes? And he came back for, he waited for a more opportune time. And so, or a different angle. And so Satan tries to attack you from the front, from the side. And it doesn't mean that it's over. It means that he's replanning, that he's going back to the drawing board and he's coming at a different angle. He's coming from a different way. And so this particular attack of, of Joshua that they're going to face in, in the, you know, the big picture that we've been studying, that these are spiritual battles that you and I face. And most of them, they fought with the sword. And one and won until there was AI and there was sin in the camp, this one they 're going to fight um, satan 's going to attack them in a different way and they 're going to lose this battle and so um, it says that, then the men of Israel said to the to the Hivites in verse seven, perhaps you dwell um, among us. so how can we make a covenant with you so immediately they they perceived that there was a problem. And, you know, oftentimes when you're deceived and when Satan's coming to you with something, you know, you, you have a, a feeling, you have a hunch, you have a reality. And they, so they they did, they they had this, this hunch that something wasn't right. And they said, wait a minute, maybe you guys live among us. But they didn't listen to it. And then they're going to go and they're going to make a grave error. And, and in verse eight, it says, but they said to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, so they said, man, he said, He said, what if you guys live near us? And they didn't answer the question. They just said, man, we're here to serve you. They thought that was kind of flattering. Like, hey, you know, like like they knew how to talk. Like they had the right deception and the right jargon. And, you know, like used car salesmen, you know, who knew what to say at the right time to get Joshua and the men to to change the subject. And, you know, flattery is is." is effective at times, you know, and you got to be careful of flattery. And so they we're here to serve you, man. Oh, we just love you guys, man. Well, don't worry about where we live. We're just, we're just here to hang out, man. And Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? And they said to him from a very far country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord, your God. So again, more flattery. Now, first of all, Joshua needed to ask some better questions. Where do you come from? Ah, uh, far away. <laughs> okay, where far away? Exactly where is it that you live? What is the name of the city? And, you know, but Joshua doesn't. And again, they, they, they just use these these flattery words. And, oh, your Lord, we, we heard about him. We heard about your God all over. And, man, we, we're here because of that. For we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt, and that all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who was at Ashtoreth. And so, you know, they, they, they couldn't say, we heard what you guys did to Ai and Jericho. Because then there, then the goose was cooked, and, and, and Joshua and the men would know that, that they were nearby, because you had to be nearby to know those things. It was you know, they didn't have Twitter and you know the news wire traveled slow, and so that, that information would, ha, would to have to come from, from close by, so they couldn't say that. So wisely, they tell them about Egypt and the other things that they had heard, and, and, and they, they've come for this reason. Now, now, to me, one of the, the first observations in in all of this is, is just the power of the name of Jesus. You know, ju- just the idea that, that all these kings from all around, and they really are afraid. We're going to learn about these guys right here, that, that in chapter 10, when the other kings are getting together, that where they come from it is, a, is a super center. It's a powerhouse. They're way stronger than AI. They have soldiers that are trained and skilled. So it's not like this weak people like this is a formidable enemy, but they're afraid and they see that the hand of God is, is, is just mowing down all of these other victories and all of these other places. And so they come and rather than try to attack God, they come, you don't know, think about the name of Jesus. I was, where was I? I was in, I was in uh, Yucca Valley and my brother um, lives out in Landers. And so Landers is kind of like Stockton, But, you know, like Stockton has like a smaller kind of older part of Stockton. Well, all of Landers looks like that. You know, like you say, like, you know, in all of Landers, you find like one set of teeth, you know. Like Landers is, I don't know, it's like, it's strange. It's out there in the desert and, you know, it's, it's some weird stuff out there in Landers. Well, my brother's staying out there. And so, anyways, I was dropping him off after church on Sunday. And on the side of this house in Landers, really big sign. It says, Jesus, huge, like six foot letters. And, and I'm like, you know, but the, the thing that struck me was, you know, the name of Jesus it, all over the world. The impact that Jesus has had on this world, you know, that, that you can't deny that. And if you say you're an atheist, if you don't believe in God, but the one thing you can't deny is the name of Jesus and the impact that Jesus has had on this world. It, 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 it's got to speak to the fact that there's something to it. You know, I don't care where you go in the world or where, where it is. It's the name of Jesus. And they had heard this name. And so they come and, um, you know, and they're, they're being deceived. And so in verse 11, it says, therefore, our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us saying, take provisions with you. This is still them lying for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, we are your servants now, therefore, make a covenant with us. And so they're pressing the the whole idea, like, let's get this deal signed. This bread of ours, we took hot from our provisions. Liar! Where's my little sound bite, uh, Brian? Liar! These guys are lying. The bread of ours, we took hot for our provision from our house on the day we departed to come to you. But now look, it is dry and moldy. And these wineskins, which were filled... Were new and now see they are torn and these are garments and our sandals have become old because of the very long journey. So they they started with uh, Birkenstocks and they got there with some waraches and um, they, they said they were all. Then in verse 14, it says, then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. Eh. All right. Underline it. Highlight it. Verse 14, they did what? Everybody they did not ask counsel of the Lord, so this is something that um, we have from Genesis chapter one, verse one to where we are now as we 've been through the torah and um, and and now into Joshua, and as we get into uh, first and second Samuel we 're going to see the same thing in david 's life we 've seen it in abraham 's life and, and I love here in verse fourteen that God doesn't want us to miss this one. And so we find this same concept insinuated and taught and, and this lesson learned in other places in the Scriptures. But here, he just lays it out for us. They did not seek the counsel of God. That was their problem. That was their mistake. So, so what happened in Ai? The same exact thing, right? He said, oh, just send three or 4,000. But they didn't. But it didn't. It didn't record that idea that they didn't. But we know that they didn't seek the name of the Lord because there's no mention. But normally we we come to that conclusion by the fact that there's no mention, and here we we can come to that conclusion because he just tells us they didn't seek the Lord. You know Proverbs three five and six. You guys all have it memorized, right? Lean not on your own understanding. No, that's not how it goes. Yeah, I have it memorized. To trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding in all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall what? direct your paths. OK, and so um, so the, this this idea, again, in all the decisions in your life, in the small decisions and the large decisions, seek counsel, of the Lord had they stopped here. And had they just prayed and said, God, what, what is it that you want us to do? What is your will in this situation? God would have directed him. God would have warned him. God would have protected him. But they saw the provisions. They heard all the flattery. And again, these decisions were not huge decisions. According, you know, as far as they were concerned at the moment, they were easy, to, easy enough decisions that they could handle it. Do you guys have easy decisions in your life that you can just handle apart from God? You say no now. But that's not how you live your life. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> They're the liars in church today. Let's not join them. We, we, we all probably, right, are guilty at times of you know, this type of simple thing. But, you know, even as we pray, you guys, even as as we walk with the Lord on a daily basis, it it doesn't always have to be a a 10-day fast and pray over, you know, decisions. That's not that type of decision. And there comes a place for that. But just that simple acknowledging the Lord, as it says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, seeking God, asking God for those directions, even when we think the answer is clear, when your kids come and your kids say, can I spend the night at so-and-so's house? Maybe that's a good time. Maybe it takes five seconds, five minutes, whatever. You know, I say, oh, I don't know, let me let, let mom and I talk about it, or give me a minute. Whether you or tell them, Hey, give me a minute, I'm gonna pray about it. They're gonna think you're crazy. But you know, on some of them overnight excursions, maybe maybe something's gonna happen. It's gonna change one of your kids' lives forever. And maybe most of them are innocent, but you never know. And maybe just just a quick pause to say, "Hey, hey, Lord, is this a good idea for tonight?" And and if you feel a check in your spirit, you know, and they that's a good friend of theirs, you know, their parents, good house, everything's great. But that night you just don't feel right about it, you know, or or, or whatever it is, you know, in big decisions, you're going to buy a vehicle, you're going to. Um, switch jobs, whatever you're going to do in your life. This is a lesson that the Bible pounds and pounds and pounds. It's a lesson of Jesus's life that Jesus often withdrew himself and prayed. And, and they make this huge decision here and they didn't seek the counsel of the Lord. And, and it's going to come back and bite them. and it says in verse 15. So Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them. And it happened at the end of three days after they had made a covenant with them that they heard that they were their neighbors who dwelt near them. Whoops. So why, why is this a problem? Well, first of all, it's a problem because God told them to do what? To not make any covenants. God told them to to uh, wipe out the Canaanites. These would be Canaanites who fit in the the category of Canaanites. And we read that list, Amalekites and Mananites and uh, Parasites and Hivites and Tidites and flashlights and all those things that I make those lame jokes about every week. All, all of those are, are under the subcategory of Canaanites. And the Canaanites were, you know, you, you could actually, you can go when you get home, when you get, don't do it now, you know, even Wikipedia and type in Canaanites and Canaanite culture. And, and some of the stuff I couldn't repeat in here that, that the Canaanite cultures were, were guilty of. And for four hundred years, as you guys know, God tried to get them to change and repent, but they were they were rabid they they, they were a cancerous um, society that God said to eradicate you know and 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 to to some degree, like again, you know and every week we, we have to kind of cross this, but I don't want to completely unpack this for us every week God's justification in genocide of the Canaanites. but if a dog has rabies and he comes marching into your living room where your kids are. Are you justified in killing that dog? Yes or no? The dog's dead already. There's no cure. He's going to die. And, and as far as I know, my kids don't have rabies yet. So, you know, so it, I, I'm doing what's right. I'm justified. And the Canaanites were rabid. And, and so they were, God called them to eradicate them. And they, they were not to make peace treaties with the Canaanites. And how long did it take Joshua and the people to figure out they were duped? How long in verse number 16? Three days, you guys. Come on. You can afford three days, right? You know, your kid wants to know, can I spend the night at so-and-so's house? How long would it take you to pause and pray before you give an answer? Your kid wants to know if they can, you know, have 20 bucks. <laughs> yeah, I prayed about it and God said no. <laughs> 20 bucks? Where am I going to get 15 bucks? What do you need 10 bucks for? Here's five bucks. Go away. But, you know, that that pause looks in three days. Three days. You know, even in church here, you guys, we have like a, a, you know, we try to have that kind of same wisdom in in proceeding that if you you slow down, you seek God to make decisions, you know, um, you know, Joshua Springs, I haven't really done it since I've been here. I've tried to have a little bit, but we had a six month policy. And for folks that were new and that wanted to get involved in different ministries and do different things, we, um, and not to the man, but just as a general rule, it was six months. You had to be in church for six months before you started serving in a leadership role in a ministry position because it usually took about that time for them to get to know us, for us, us to get to know them, them to get to know us, for, you know, things to settle and see if it was a good fit for everybody. And, and, and sometimes there's just so much wisdom in just a couple days, seek the Lord, wait a little bit. Had they just waited and told those, you know, those travelers, well, you've come from a country so far away, I don't know how long your journey was, but... You know, hang out for a couple of days. Let's, let's, let's think about this. Let's seek the Lord, and they would have saved themselves some trouble. But they didn't, and so it took them three days. And then the children of Israel journeyed and came to their cities on the third day. and now their cities were Gibeon. come on, somebody. Chephra, Beeroth and Kirjath, jerium But the children of Israel did not attack them because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel and all the congregation complained against the rulers. So a couple things here. Um, They they made a bad covenant. Israel did. And then when they realized there was a bad covenant um, in verse number 18, what did they do? When they realized it was a bad covenant, they kept it. Okay, they honored it. They already made it. And so they, it was time they had now had to honor it, okay? The Lord tells you guys in your lives that, that you don't have to vow vows. You don't have to make covenants between you and the Lord. He says, as a matter of fact, he says it's better for you to to not make a covenant than for you to make a covenant and break it. Because when you make a covenant, it's binding in the eyes of the Lord. You know, and, and I don't know what our covenants are. You know, we sometimes we we promise the Lord so many things, you know. Some of you guys got one foot on the floor and the other one in the bed. You say, Lord, I promise if you get me through tonight, I'll never drink again. Maybe that's a binding covenant that lasts about two days, you know, but you're guilty. And so hopefully that's not the covenants we're making. But we we make these types of promises and covenants before the Lord. And, you know, we promise him all these big things. God's not impressed. He doesn't want us to make those type of covenants. You know, I'll never do this. I'll never do that. God says it's okay. You don't need to make those covenants. It's better not to make a covenant than to make one and break it. But once you make it, it is binding. And God does want us to honor those things, especially between him. Marriage, for example. You know, this, this would apply right into marriage. We have people come sometimes and, you know, uh, maybe maybe the wife got saved and the husband's not saved. And they're married, and she wants to know, Well, am I supposed to stay with him? Well, yes, you stay with him. And the Bible clarifies it in in, in 1 Corinthians chapter seven as well. But you're in a covenant, it's binding. And and you're not to enter a covenant unequally yoked. But once, once you're in a covenant and you find yourself unequally yoked, that, that you know, if that person wants to stay, then then you're to keep that covenant. And so they, they do the right thing. They have to do it. They keep the covenant. And then the other thing I like is it says, um, then all of the, the Lord and all the congregation complained against the rulers. So the congregation of Israel is back to their old ways of complaining. And so they're complaining against now who? The rulers, which are namely Joshua. You know, and, and this is so, um, so life, you know, it's so people, you know, it's like, you know, sometimes people come here from, you know, somewhere else, who knows where. And, you know, I meet them and I, hey, you know, how you doing, where you come from? And they start telling me about the church that they came from and how terrible the pastor was and all this nonsense and this and that. And I'm just like, uh-oh. Here we go, because I guarantee you it'll be about three weeks before they're saying that same stuff about me, you know, and I never get excited. I always get worried about that. And, you know, people that were complaining about the last church they were in, you know, they're going to they're going to be complaining about this one before long or, you know, and and complaining about the last leader. They'll be complaining about the next one because it's an attitude of the heart, not of the situation. And the reality is there, there there are no perfect jobs. You know, you don't like your boss, and you complain, complain, complain. You don't like your church. You don't like your pastor. You complain, complain, complain. And then you go, you find another another boss, and um, you find you have the same problems there. You find another church, and you find you have the same problems there. And one day, hopefully, we wake up and we realize there's no perfect jobs, there's no perfect churches. You find the one that God's called you to, the one that God's told you to go to, the one that God's told you to serve in, and you serve faithfully there, and you do what Paul tells us, and you do all things without murmuring and complaining. And so um, in verse 19, it says, And all the rulers said to all the congregation, We have sworn to them by the Lord God. Now, therefore, we may not touch them. So they say, We made the oath, and we can't can't kill them. We're going to keep the oath that we swore, because we made an oath before them. Verse 20, Now we will... now, this we will do to them, we will let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swore to them. Now, now, they're in a bad oath, but, you know, the Bible says um, in 1 Corinthians, I think it's in 1 Corinthians. I don't have the note. Where does it say, do not be unacly yoked together with non-believers? It's 1 Corinthians, right? Somebody's going to fact check that, and I'm going to get it wrong. Um Anyways, it does say that in the New Testament, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And so, you know, the thing I think the, the place we apply that the most is is in relationships and is in marriage. And it's very true. And it's very tragic. And it happens all the time. And you know, it's always a mistake when we when we're unequally yoked together with non believers. Okay. But in business it's true. You know, and so many businesses. And if, if you're if you're now a believer and, you know, you're in a covenant with non-believers, then it's binding and you're good. But moving forward, you know, you have a friend from, you know, old friend, good friend of yours, he's not a believer. And he's got a new business venture for you and he wants you to join in and partner up 50-50 with him or whatever the deal is. And he's an unbeliever. It would apply to that situation as well. Do not be unequally yoked together with non-believers in in any area of life, you know, and, and in friendship as well. And we talk, of, we've unpacked this one before too, because we as Christians are to have non-believers in our lives. How do we share the gospel? How do we relate? You know, Jesus was a friend of sinners, so so we 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 have to have, we want to have non-believers in our life, in our circle. But where we draw the line is in. Um, fellowship, it's in um, confiding, it's in um, being, you know, intimate with people that are non-believers. We don't do that. Like I tell the ladies all the time, you know, if you have a good friend who, you know, you love, maybe somebody you grew up with is your bestie, but she's not a believer, that's not the person you receive advice from in your life. You're having a fight with your husband, you don't call her, you know, even though she loves you and she's a good listening ear, you don't call her and confide in her on those personal matters because you 're unequally yoked in that area, and the Bible says "Iron sharpens iron, and so you find you know you find so yeah we keep christian non Christians in our circle, we love them, we treat them just as well you know we're not we don't want to be judgmental, we want to be loving, but those are not the people that we 're close to those are not the people we confide in, those are definitely not the people that we receive counsel from Amen, all right. Um, so where are we at? We are in verse number 20, and it says, This we will do to them. We will let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swore to them. But the ruler said to them, Let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for, the con- for all the congregation as the rulers had promised them. Then Joshua called for them and spoke to them, we have, Why have you deceived us, saying we are very far from you when you dwell near us? Now, therefore, you are cursed and none of you shall be freed from being slaves, woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. So they answered Joshua and said, because your servants were clearly told that the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants from the land before you. Therefore, we were very much afraid for our for our lives because of you and have done this thing. So, you know, I, I don't know how to, I guess, you know, good on them. At least they were wise. You know, Jesus at one point in the New Testament, he commends the unjust steward for his wisdom, his shrewdness in the, in the whole deal. And at least for these guys, they, they, they made a decision. And, and they realize that, that they're going to end up slaves. They realize that they're going to end up um, in service to um, Joshua and Israel. But they figure we'd rather we have two choices. You know, we're going to die, or, or or we're going to be slaves, and we'd rather keep our lives and be slaves. And so they they make a decision, and you know, had they they stood behind their soldiers and their their armies and and tried to fight against God as as Pharaoh did, as so many did, as the people in Jericho did, then they they would have ended up dead, and they knew it. And so they made this decision. And so what's interesting though is that. Um, you know, the decision, I think, you know, I guess there's some wisdom in the decision that Joshua then makes at this point. Now we have them. Now they're our problem. And what do we do with them? You know, and they're worldly. They're Canaanites. And I think some of the view of of, of Christian folks about worldly people or about worldly types of things is that, you know, you you build a fence around your life and you keep them as far away and out as possible. And that way they won't influence your people. But Joshua does actually exactly the opposite. Joshua puts them right in the center of the congregation of Israel in the house of the Lord, and he makes them woodcutters and water carriers for, for the temple. So basically, um, one of the duties of the Levitical tribe, because they were constantly offering burnt offerings and building, building wood altars, they, they they had a practical need of cutting wood and building altars and and carrying water for the, the duties of um, uh, of animal sacrifices and the things that went on in in the in the temp in the tabernacle it was a tabernacle wasn't quite a temple yet hadn't been built yet and so he puts them right in the middle and and they're working for the Lord and they would have been surrounded by Levitical priests and you know may, maybe and I'm sure many of them would have got saved through this process but that was Joshua's wisdom and you know and again it's just It's my personal opinion, and I don't necessarily think that it's the only opinion or the right opinion, but, you know, for for me and for our church especially, you know, we're we, we, we want to invite lost people in. We, we, we want to have lost people in our lives. We want to have folks that, that need the gospel and the Canaanites that, you know, and if they don't come and if they don't come and if they're not able to come and be comfortable in our seats and, in, and among our people, you know, as sinners long enough to get saved and for their lives to change, then, you know, we, we don't ever have that opportunity. So we're always going to be a church that, you know, as Joshua did here, we're going to bring them in. We're going to put them close. And, and, and that way, at least, They'll be surrounded by the gospel. And it says um, in verse number 25, and now here we are in your hands. Do with us as seems good to you. Seems good and right to do to us. So he did to them and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel. So they did not kill them. And that day, Joshua made them woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord in the place, which he would choose even to this day. Water carriers. We don't have water carriers. Those are only in Africa, huh? Every time I see water carriers, I think that woman with a pot of water on her head. Alright, so let's um let's try to jam through chapter 10 if we can. I don't know if we'll finish it all, but let, let's let's crack into it. It says, Now it came to pass when Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, Heard how Joshua had taken Ai and utterly destroyed it, as he had done to Jericho and its kings, so he had done to Ai and its kings, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, that they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than and all its men were mighty. And so that's where I had already mentioned verse two to you guys in chapter nine, that, that those guys who came and deceived Joshua and his men, they, they didn't come from, um, you know, obscure places. They came from a great city And, and that these, these cities and the fear of God had, had crippled the hearts of, of all of the surrounding, um, cities and the work of God that was, was going on in their lives. And, um, Joshua is getting ready to go on and have a great victory over um, these five kings that are going to form against him. Do you guys remember last week when Joshua was, was on his face and he was whining and complaining and, you know, how terrible life was and how, you know, God says, get up. They're sin in the camp. What are you doing? And God tells him twice in that chapter, get up and later get up you know, and and just in the big picture, that if God can do these amazing, miraculous things, as we're going to see in chapter 10 with the long day of Joshua, you know, those are all, again, reminders for us. That's why we, on a Wednesday night here at church, that's why we grind through the Old Testament and we grind through Joshua and Deuteronomy as we have, because these stories of the miracles and the things of God, they're, they're little things that even whether we realize it or not, as we chew on them, as we meditate on them, as we know they happened in the bible they're supposed to give feet to our faith they're supposed to encourage us to know that if god can do all of these things can god pay your light bill yeah god god can create the heavens and the earth and all the universe but you can't pay my light bill that's how we live, you know, we live and that's how Joshua was. And it's cool to see, as we talked about last week, somebody who was a mighty man of valor of conquest who suffers this one defeat and, and just is completely twisted over and completely broken and on his face, whining before God. And, and to come to find out by the time he gets up and goes back to work, he, he's about to see in chapter 10, one of the greatest miracles that God ever performs in all of human history. One of the most phenomenal miracles that the Bible records is this happens right here in chapter 10. It's probably one of the most controversial because it's one of the hardest to believe miracles in all the Bible that Joshua is about to experience. And, and God, you know, again, it's a testimony of God's greatness and that, listen, look forward. God can do it. God can handle these things in your life. And in verse three, it says, therefore, Adonai Zadonet, king of Jerusalem, sent to Horem, king of Jebron, Pyram, king of Jeremuth, Japhia, king of Lachish. Hey, don't name your kids after these Bible names. And Deber, king of Eglon, saying they're all pagan kings anyways, Canaanite kings. Come up to me and help me that we may attack Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. So they're mad at the, at the people of Gibeon, and they're ready to attack them because they made peace with Israel. What they're not going to realize is that part of that peace treaty, that Joshua is going to not only make peace with the men of Gibeon, that he's going to protect them as well. In verse five, 5, it says, Therefore the five kings of the Amorites, and the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jeremoth, and the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon, Gathered together and went up, they and all their armies, and camped before Gibeon, and made war against it. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at camp at Gilgal, saying, Do not forsake your your servants come up to us quickly, save us and help us for the king of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, I love it. Listen, do not fear for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. And so here we receive in verse eight of chapter 10, the direction and the counsel of God and Joshua's life and and this encouragement that he gives Joshua continually that he gives you, that he gives me, do not be afraid i 've given you this victory. What is it in your life today? What is it in your life right now that that, that you're that's daunting that that 's bringing you fear for for the future of something that you don't know the outcome? maybe god's going to say to you tonight through the message and just through a spirit that do not be afraid. I've, I've delivered this one into your hands. I, I got this. I'm going to take care of this. And so he tells them that he's um, delivered them into their hands. And, you know, I, I heard someone say here in this, in one of the commentaries that, you know, what has that old saying go when life hands you lemons, make lemonade. And, and that's kind of one of the, um, <laughs> you don't like lemonade. <laughs> that's kind of one of the, you know, the realities, though, of life. It really is. Listen, how many of you guys, just quick show of hands, how many of you guys have ever made a mistake? <laughs> Maybe a couple of us, right? So listen, we, we make mistakes. That's, that's a part of life. We, we even have points in our lives of disobedience where it, it wasn't just an honest mistake. It was, it was sin. It was disobedience. But but as Paul tells us in the Philippian churches that we're, we're to, as I always say, right, drive the car out of the windshield. We're to forget those things that are behind. We're to press toward the upward call of Christ Jesus. And so we're to press on, press toward. And so now Joshua's in a bad position. He made a mistake. He blew it. He didn't seek the counsel of God. He made a bad deal with some Canaanite people that he should not have made. But, but now he's in a situation where God's going to redeem it. Where, where God, even in his mercy and his grace, you know, did, did you guys read or did, 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 I, did maybe I need to use somebody else's Bible? Because I didn't see anywhere in mine where God was all mad at Joshua and, and, and the men for what they did making this treaty. Did I miss it? Or did it just not record it? I mean, God, you know, it, it, God made his point, but he didn't show up and say, Joshua, for that you're not going to. Like Moses didn't get it, go into the promised land type of thing, or, you know, put out your hand and, you know, I mean, you know, God is, God was gracious and, 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 and now God is going to redeem the situation. And what was, what was, what was a bad thing? It was a bad thing because Joshua made it a bad thing because he didn't seek God. It was something that God didn't intend for Joshua to get into, but now he's into it. And God says, look, let's move forward. And I'll tell you what we'll do. So out of this bad situation, I'm going to bring these five these five kings that, that you're going to have to eventually conquer. And I'm going to put them all in one place and just let you get them all at once. So we'll just we'll just go five for one, where they say, kill two birds with one stone. He says, We're going to kill five kings with a couple of hailstones. You'll see that in a minute, too. Um, and then so uh, they, they come in verse number. 8 and or verse number 9. And Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly having marched all night from Gilgal. So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes to Beth Horah and struck them down as far as Azek and Mekedah. And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth Horan. Hold on in verse number 11. So, so Joshua was attacking them. He's killing them. He's winning, and, and, and all of these army are like, okay, like like we get it now too, like we get what those other guys, the Gibeonites, got when they went and made the deal, and all these other people, and they're like, we're out of here. So they start running. Like, yeah, they're looking back, and the, the army of Israel is getting farther and farther away, and they're they're like seeing victory, and at least they're free. At least they're going to live. Everything's good, and then all of a sudden. And the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as Azak. And they died there were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with a sword. So they're like, we can't win for losing. Like we, we avoided the sword. We avoided all this stuff. And they're running. And then God with precision starts raining hailstones down on this army. And, and and then it says that it only killed the, the the soldiers of the enemy army. Not one of the Israeli soldiers was hit with one of these hailstones. You guys like to throw rocks or you guys are, you know, it's something boys do, I guess. But like anytime you get me and my boys around rocks, like, you know, we'll see a can over there, you know, and we'll all pick up rocks and we'll start chucking them until one of them hits the can, you know. And, and then when one of them hits the can, we brag and flex our muscles. And, you know, God, God's casting all these stones on these, People and he's just picking off the ones he wants to hit with hailstones. I don't know. I've never really seen. I heard stories of hailstorms with, you know, hail the size of softballs. And, you know, hail that you got to hide under your car. It'll kill you. You know, Lydia's dad tells some of them war, some of the Vietnam stories. But I've never seen it. But here God rains down a hailstorm and kills him. This is not, by the way, the miracle that I was talking about a minute ago. Um, But this one's kind of interesting, kind of cool. And then in verse 12, it says, Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day, and when the Lord delivered the Amorites before the children of Israel, he said in the sight of Israel. Well, we're going to get there in a second. Um, hey, again, I just want to point out, I don't want to pass it without pointing it out just one more time. Um, all of the victories, not all, but so many of the victories, that that you find from from Genesis to Revelation, that you find specifically in the real physical battles of the Old Testament, the the children of Israel never really fought. So many of them, it just gets overwhelming. You know, you think of like I said, I could go on and on and on and on. What about like Gideon? They they cracked the torches and blew the horns, and the people were confused and started killing each other. You know, uh, the Amalekites. They woke up one day and they looked over the wall. 185,000 Amalekites dead on the, on the, on the battlefield. They didn't, they didn't lift a finger over and over again. The Egyptian army drowned in the sea. So many times, all, all God's people have to do is have enough faith and enough courage to show up. And then God, God does it anyways. You know, the, the analogy that I use oftentimes, you know, I was picking on Greg and Aaron, you know, saying that, you know, they get to be up here with, with plastic guitars, you know, and pretend to, to play music. And, you know, it's like the, it's like your kid, right? If, if, if you're out working on the car and, you know, and, and the baby comes out and wants to help you, give him a little plastic wrench and they pretend to turn the lug off and then you take it off and, you know, and they think, Oh dad, look what I did, you know, and, and that's that's the reality of, of how it is with the Lord so many times. Like, we're that kid with a little plastic guitar and a little fake toy wrench. And he's actually, dad's actually doing the work. And, and we just get to pretend like we're apart. And, and that's what we see here in this story. Like, they go and, yeah, they, they got to fight a little bit. But then dad shows up and he does the real work. And he kills them with stones. And, you know, but, the, the again, the battle is, and, and I think part of the lesson is, don't be afraid to show up. Why, why are you afraid to show up? Because you're afraid you have to do the battle. What you'd find out, if you would just show up, God wasn't going to have you do the battle anyways. He just wanted to make you see if you were going to show up. And once you show up, and then in verse 12, this is the miracle that I, that I was um, alluding to. Joshua said, Son, stand still over Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. Is this not written of in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven, and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. And it was and there has been no day like that before it, or after it, that the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. And then Joshua returned to all Israel with him, to the camp of Gilgal. So this is what we call the long day of Joshua. So Joshua asked to have the the sun stand still. Now, we know that the sun doesn't stand still, right? Why? Because the sun's already standing still. The sun don't move, right? The earth rotates around the sun, and so, but, you know, we, we, we use those terms. We all, we say about every day, we talk about what sun rises and sunsets. Does the sun actually rise and set? No, but that's the term we use to describe a, a sunrise or a sunset. We know that it's the earth rotating, um, around the sun. And so how God performed this miracle, I don't know. Um, And if there was a long day in Israel, so basically the sun didn't set, you know, maybe the earth's rotation, however fast the earth is spinning um, in its rotation. If God slowed it down to about half the speed, then the day would have been 24 hours of sunlight or just about 24 hours of sunlight. If that were true in Israel in Joshua's day, then what would have happened on the other side of the world? Darkness for 24 hours. And so this long day of Joshua again is a is a miracle that the Bible describes that takes um, so it, it, it takes a lot of heat, and, and but yet the reality is it's true. First of all, because the Bible says it's true, true, and, and God records it. And if we, we don't tonight, and if you're interested and you want to, there's so much about the long day of Joshua. John Corson does an entire message of all the science and all the stuff. And, and, and if it's true, what you'll find is a long night somewhere else. And, and, and you'll find a long evening somewhere else. And you'll find history of it all around the world. And what, and what do you find when you study um, archaeology and you study um, history throughout the world? Everywhere in the world... There's a story of either a long day or a long morning or a long night. And it's there all over the world because it happened. And it's, it's a real miracle. And it's not, you know, you'll hear some things where, you know, people explain it away as they do many of the miracles of the Bible. And so, like I said, this one is pretty phenomenal. The science behind, you know, slowing the rotation of the earth down to the point where the sun doesn't set for an extra 12 hours. You know, some have suggested that, um, you know, we used to have a 360-day calendar, right? Most of the world used a 360-day calendar up into a certain point in history. And today we have a 365-day calendar. And this could be one of the reasons for that or one of the explanations for the extra five days that we now have. And so... um, Lots of, lots of, lots like I said, science stuff going on, good stuff with the long day of Joshua. But for us for tonight, I want to use it just to say that, you know, that, that, that if God can part the Red Sea, if God can put Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a fiery furnace, and the people that threw them in the fire catch on fire, and they come out and their clothes don't smell like smoke, if Jesus raises from the dead on the third day, can God handle the things in your life? Can a God of miracles and a God of power affect change in your life? Can he speak to you? Can he heal you? Can he touch you? Can he, you know, can he, what whatever it is in your life that you can trust God for, whatever it is in your life that you're facing tomorrow, that you're facing now, be encouraged that God can handle it. And, and, and that is the lesson. You know, one day we're going to look back. Hey, How do you think, let me ask you this after this, Joshua gets home from this day. Now, and lots of crazy stuff going on, right? He he has this battle. They're killing people with the swords. Just when the people are out of his hand, he's like, oh, man, we blew it. God starts raining hailstones down. He's seeing the enemy falling with hailstones, and he's watching his guys chasing them, and hailstones are missing his guys and hitting the enemy. And then, And then Joshua just needs more time to finish the battle, and he just says, God, stop the sun and the moon. And it stops. And then he goes on and he gets the, the daylight and that he needs to go ahead and complete the battle. And, you know, the, 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 the guys from Gibeon and that whole thing. And he gets home that day and sits on his recliner and sits on his easy chair and he pulls the handle. And he remembers that day a couple weeks ago, a month ago, that he was crying because, because he, didn't, he couldn't trust the Lord in his life because 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 he he was losing a battle, and he thought the Lord had forsook him, and how how silly he would have felt, thinking, "Man, Lord, if I'd only trusted you, I should have known better." And, and those, are the, those are the Bible lessons, you guys. Those are the, the lessons of these stories to try to put in our lives that, that just say, listen, you can trust God today, yesterday, and forever. He's got the little things. He's got the big things. God can handle absolutely whatever's going on in your life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray, Father. We thank you. We praise you, Lord God. We love you, Jesus, and Lord. I pray, God, that that, that we would take these lessons. That it's easy for us to see twenty twenty because these things have already happened, and to look back and go, "Man, Joshua, you could have trusted the Lord. It, look, He's gonna do He's gonna do miracles like He did in your past. He's gonna do them in your future." And, and for us, Lord, I pray that we could apply this lesson to our life tonight. The miracles and the blessings that you've you've done for us and for them in the past that. You're going to do for us in the future. And God, for as a church, we can trust you. Lord, as a people, we can trust you. Lord, as a family, we can trust you. And God, that you are good and that you have big plans for us and you want to do amazing things in us and through us. If we'll only be obedient, step out in courage. God help us to step out in faith, be bold for Jesus in our witness and in our lives. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen.